I love y'all so much I gave up precious preaching time. Or actually, y'all gave up precious lunch time because I'm just going to preach my regular time. But y'all love them that much, don't you? Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to finish up that sermon from last week today, uh, Lord willing. And, and uh, we'll see, uh, see what all we get done. I did find a pen. Uh, I don't know if it's the right one, but it works. So I found a pen. It is a Promethean pen. I don't know if it was from this one or the last one, but either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. We'll read them all again, and then we're going to pick up where we left off last week. How many of you went and read over and studied the passage? Raise your hands way up high so I can get encouraged. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to get discouraged. Uh, Get in the Word. If you're not in the Word, get in the Word. I'm telling you, it'll be a blessing. All right, let's all stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is, that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's pick up where we left off last week. And I went ahead and put them all up for you last week, but let's go through it again today. And we'll lay out, and I really don't have a lot of time, so what I'll do is I'm just going to put the first couple of, I think I got through uh, the first two with, a, with, with explanation behind them, and then I just gave you the other one. So is it, somebody tell me what the P was. You can do it from your notes or from memory. What was the P? Pinnacle point priest, you're right. So, pinnacle point priest, good job. And this is just speaking of the fact that Jesus Christ is the highest priest. He is the pinnacle point, the highest point of the highest point. There is no priest that even compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands far above and beyond all of them. And in fact, since Christ has come, there no longer exists the need for an office of priest because he has overwhelmed and consumed and swallowed all of them up. All of the earthly priests were mere shadows and types of what Christ would be and what Christ is now that he has come and taken his seat upon the throne. Jesus is the pinnacle point High priest. What was the R? Real reigning royal. What is this pointing to? 
It is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the one true king. Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority based on his sonship and his deity. We see that in verse 1 where it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It's touched on again by an implicit way where it says here that it says, now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Jesus Christ is not a priest according to the law. We learned that earlier in Hebrews. He is a priest according to what? Sonship. The fact that he is God, he is the Son of God, he is deity, and he is man. Therefore, he is the God-man bridge that is the only way that man can cross over into relationship with God. At the, bottom, at, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, is that without the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be one with God. You can't. No priest has ever, even in the Old Covenant, no priest has ever made an individual one with God. It is impossible for him to do. He has the humanity, but he lacks the deity. Therefore, he cannot offer the sacrifice needed in the way it needs to be sacrificed and offered in order to really take care of sin. Jesus Christ is the royal priest. This is very significant. Okay, now we get to the eye. And I laid them all out here for you. Uh, so what's the eye? He is the initial image issued now what are we talking about here we'll pick up here because we didn't really cover this too much in depth last time let's look at hebrews chapter 8 and let's just continue on and i'm going to try my best to save a little bit of time at the end uh, to show you some application of why this really really matters in your life <clears throat> so let's look at uh starting in verse 3 for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So there we see the idea that the Old Covenant, uh, the old covenant specifics, the furniture in the Old Covenant, the... Uh, the realities in the Old Covenant were merely a copy. A copy of what? That's what we should be asking. They are merely a shadow, okay? And what do we know about a shadow? That's pretty, that's pretty practical, pretty easy way to understand something. If, if uh, Kenzie was to stand up, he would cast a shadow of the, on the ground. Is the shadow, is the shadow Kenzie? No. He, he has cast that shadow, but it's merely a silhouette of who he actually is it is not him it is his shadow it is it is made in his image because the light hits him and he is what creates the shadow but it is not him we can't look to the shadow to know the real thing we can look at the shadow to get an idea about the real thing to learn about the real thing but we can't know the real thing you can talk to Kenzie's or mine or whoever's shadow all day long you're not going to get to know them right 
And so here we understand that there is that all of these realities, the priest included, and you need to understand this, is that everything in the Old Testament was a type or a shadow. It, all, the, all the things that, had, that was concerning the tabernacle and the, the tent of meeting, the temple, whatever it might be. What? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Good point. Um, Chad just said there's two types of tabernacles. There's an earthly tabernacle and there's a heavenly tabernacle. He's exactly right. That's what I want to show you today. Because what we must ask ourselves is, if the tabernacle in the Old Testament and all of its specific designs, and when, it's, when it points out here, it says that Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain god is saying the author here in hebrews is saying when god instructed moses to construct the uh the tabernacle he gave him specific instructions and he was to build it that exact same way why because the instructions were very important to relaying the message and the understanding that needed to be um understood so that you would have the best understanding of what was casting that shadow as possible and so the tabernacle the tent here on earth was the earthly uh, tabernacle or the earthly tent and it was made uh, by looking at by um, considering by hearing from God these uh, measurements and these specifics as God was speaking it to him in looking at the heavenly tabernacle we see that in the text too that's it's not my idea it says they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things and so a big question that we're asking is okay what's the what's that heavenly thing what is that and so not to belabor the point but i'm going to say and suggest and and i think i'm on a really good grounds here is that jesus christ himself is the tabernacle he is the heavenly tabernacle he is the tent he is that place he and god the the triune god of the bible is the place that is the reality where the presence and the glory of god emanates from and so we understand that jesus christ enters into that heavenly place, that heavenly tent he goes before us he does what other priests cannot do he does what only Jesus Christ can do. That's why Jesus Christ sets himself apart from every other religious leader or supposed God because he is the tabernacle. He is the dwelling place. He is God. And so when we look at the tabernacle, when we look at the furniture, the, the, um, the bowl of incense, or we look at all these different things, the, 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 the bread of the presence on the, uh, on the table, it's all of these things are reflecting to us Jesus Christ himself or how we interact with God, how we interact with Jesus, and how we relate to him. So a lot of people say that we should unhitch from the Old Testament or that we should forget about the Old Testament. We're not, we don't worry about that anymore. No, no. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the law, the, 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 the Genesis, all of these stories, Judges and First and Second Kings, 
They're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're real, they're true, and they can help us to understand our Jesus all the better. We can understand how we are to interact with him, beautiful realities who, of who he is, and if I had time, we could get into some of that. But we look at this and we say, okay, now we understand that Jesus Christ is the tabernacle. He is the thing that is being looked at as they are copying down this thing that, that's here on earth. Now, to give you just a little piece, and I don't have time, but in 1 John, it gives us a pretty cool picture of why I say that Jesus Christ is the true tabernacle, right? In uh, John chapter 1, it's, it tells us, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That the Word is God. Now, who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus is the Logos, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say, and the Word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us. Now, that word dwelt in the original is the same word used for tabernacle. It means that Jesus Christ tabernacled among us, that he dwelt among us. A tabernacle is simply a dwelling place, and it is a structure that is covered with skin. <laughs> So God came and put a human suit on, that, that God became a man, that he took on human flesh, that Jesus Christ in his earthly body, in his fleshly body, housed God. He was God. Jesus Christ literally is the tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. In Jesus Christ is the body, the skeletal structure with flesh on it that God dwelt in. Jesus Christ is the tabernacle. So when we're looking at Moses, the next time you're reading about Moses, you think, what do I got to need this thousand cubits long and what is this? Then you understand that this is all showing you the beautiful realities in a, in a very beautiful and poetic way of, of things that you can understand about Christ. And we understand this. Now, I want to take you to a place. Now, that's beautiful to me. I love that stuff. I hope that you enjoy it too. But go and read and do that. And we could spend, I could spend all day here. But let's move on a little bit because we understand, okay, now we know what the image is and we know what the initial image issued was. So the image that they were looking at to do this, it was Christ. And this thing down here is just a copy of this. Now, there's a couple of pretty cool charts. Now, I don't know if I'm going to draw them up here, but in, in the Old Testament, so, yeah, I'm, I am. <laughs> so we have the heaven, heavenly reality, and I didn't plan on doing this, so I don't mess it up. We have the heaven reality here. It stands far above and beyond everything else, okay? The heavenly breaks into the earthly, but the heavenly right now is in the heavenlies. The heavenly, Christ, God, the eternal, has broken into reality in the person of Jesus Christ. And God has come down and inserted himself into human history in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God taking on flesh. He did not, God did not become a man. That's technical language or technical distinction, but it's really God actually didn't become a man. God took on humanity. So God took on humanity, and Jesus Christ is the result. And you have not God becoming a man or a man becoming God, but you have 
God taking on manhood or humanity, and you have the God-man. He remained God, and he took on humanity, so now he is the God-man. And that's very, actually, that's very important, significant, because if God becomes a man and his godness is gone, then he still can't be that mediator. Why? Because you have to have the God-man to cross the bridge. And so you have the heavenly reality. Well, in the Old Testament, the heavenly reality comes down in the Old Covenant. And so you have types and shadows, and you have all of these different things. But this isn't the reality. This is the type. This is the shadow. This is what we look at to learn about the heavenly reality. Okay? Now, the Old Covenant is leading us to the new covenant where the heavenly reality is actually becoming one here. So this is the reality that is actually moving both ways. And so this is types and shadows of this, and this is being fulfilled here and so the heavenly reality is typed out here and fulfilled here so this actually is in the process of becoming the heavenly reality and the heavenly reality is already broke in this is the already not yet somebody i heard you say it this is the already not yet reality meaning that the heavenly reality was typed and foreshadowed in the Old Covenant so that we could learn about what it's actually supposed to look like. But the heavenly reality came down in the New Covenant and became part of the reality that we know right now, right? And so Jesus Christ becomes a man. And so heaven actually does come down. It's not just types and shadows anymore. It's not copies anymore. No, and this is really significant because some of you think that you have a relationship with a God that's way out there. But in reality, that's not accurate. We're not deists. We don't believe that God exists out there in some unknown realm and maybe one day we'll get to see him. We oftentimes live like that, don't we? We often, oftentimes live like, well, I'm going to get mine in when I can. I'm going to get mine's in while I can. Because one day I'll see God, and I'll have to answer for it all, but God's a loving God. He's forgiven. He won't, he's, he's very forgiving. He won't hold it against me, right? And when I go out there and I meet him somewhere out there, then I'll get things right, or hopefully I'll get them right right before I go, you know, because I want to get all this in I can. And then right at the end, I'm going to slide my prayer in there. We'll wash it all up, come in for dinner. When in reality, no, 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 no. God is here, even right now, you understand that? Do I understand that? God Almighty is here in this place right now. Really, He is. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. Tell it tell to me one more time, sister. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God really is actually here. Do we live like it? You see, here they were, and so many scriptures just flood my mind, but we look on things that they long to see. We look at things that angels long to see. You understand? We get to be one with God. In the old covenant, they had to go to a priest and say, hey, you think you could 
go talk to him for me? No, no, not now. No, why? It's because the real pinnacle point high priest, the priest, he came down here chilling with us. I have immediate access to the Father through the Son. Immediately. I don't need anybody else in my life. Now, that's not to say that we don't need the church and that the church isn't necessarily where we need to be and grow because the church helps us edify each other so that we can see him more clearly. You know, Keith can know God. He can know God. He don't have to have a word from me. So can, so can you, Hunter. Every one of you can know God. You don't have to have me. You don't need me. Not for that. You can know God sitting uh, on your commode doing, doing your business. And the Holy Ghost just be like, hey, what's up? You'd be like, Lord, is that you? And he'll save you right there sitting on John. You don't need nobody. But in order to come to know him more and more and more and more and more, we interact as a body of believers to sharpen one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to honor one another, to rebuke one another, to discipline one another as individual lovers and interactors with God. This is how the body works. That's how it works best. So, listen, he. You need to be interacting with God on a daily basis. I mean hardcore, heavy at it, going fast as you possibly can. Why? Because I need you to. And you need me to. What if I put forth the same effort that you put forth? What if you put forth the same effort that I put forth? What if, what if, what if I was seeking God as much as Billy Graham or Charles Spurge, you say, why were they so big? Why, why were God using them so much? If you go and read about all of these magnificent saints who had such impactful ministries, you know there's a common theme through every one of their lives, a common theme. Anybody care to guess what it is? Prayer. The time they spent communing with the Lord, meditating on Him, meditating on Scripture, seeking God. Why? Because they couldn't find Him? No. Because they found him under every rock, under every bucket, under every speaker, under every book, under every table. And they just had to have more. And the more they found, the more they wanted. You see, some of you just say, I just can't get into reading the Bible. I pray for you. I pray for me. Because his word is life. It's bread, it's bread to the hungry soul. We need it. Does this make sense? So this is what we're looking at. He's the initial, you, you, you remember the, uh, the verse that says uh, that, that um, in the beginning, God created man in his likeness and his image? That, that he, whose image? The image of God, the image of Christ. He's, he's, God is your father. Now, we have another father, Adam, who jacked us all up. But Jesus Christ, I can't even get off of this because Jesus is the second Adam. The, the New Testament explicitly tells us. Every corner I go around, Chris, there's Jesus. Some of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Ninja Jesus. I had this drawing. As, uh, I'm a terrible drawer, but I got this. I was uh, doing this sermon, and on the page beside it, it just struck me. like I was reading like, text after text after text, and it's like they were walking down the street. Singing, do I did it, did it, you know, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is walking beside him, and I cannot help but to think Jesus got a sense of humor. I know he does. You cannot convince me he don't, because Jesus will just be walking, 
and they see the guy walking, but they don't recognize him. Why? Because he, he hasn't revealed himself yet. So they're walking there, and they're like, what's up, man? And then he'll say something. Jesus! I wonder if that's where that saying came from. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Hey! That's not how people use it now. But he just, boom, there I am. That's what I'd have been doing, too, if I was Jesus. I'd be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but, but you see, Jesus, it, that's what one thing I love about the Bible, too, right? It's, it's so practical. But we have this God that has become one of us, and he walked among us, and, and he's around every corner. He's, he's under every rock. And the more you get, the more you need. The more you need, the more you want. And he trans everybody tell me, say, how do I let go of this sin? How do I let go of this sin? And sometimes my stupid self in my flesh is saying, I don't need to get rid of this sin. I don't know how I'll do it. And my spiritual self, the one that knows the word, says, yes, you do, you idiot. Yeah, you do. Get into God's word. Get along with God. Meditate on God. Fill yourself up with God. Seek after him. Chase after him. Find him. He is not hiding from you. And when you find him and you get him and you feast on him and you chew on him and you love on him and you're fulfilled by him, then you don't even have to fight against the sin no more. It will dissipate. And it'll be gone. Why? Because you've got so much Jesus, you forgot about sin. Oh, that's a good place to be. I wish I could live there all the time. So he's the initial image issued. He is the thing that was casting the shadow. Well, what's the next one? Anybody remember? Eternal uh, secondary spelling. Eminence. Eternal eminence, which means what? Is that he existed long before any of these other things. He was in the beginning. He was there before the beginning, before the foundations of the earth. He was the creator. Hebrews has already told us that too. That not only does he create, but he upholds everything by the word of his power. That Jesus is not just a creator that created and said, All right, guys, what do you think? You think they'll make it? 20 to 1 odds right here. No. He said he made it and he loved it. He said it's good. It's very good. Well, he saved the very good when they were both naked in the garden, which I always go back to. But he thought it was so good. He said, my creation, look at what, look at what we've done. The plurality of language in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis tells us that the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was all there working together in perfect unity and harmony, cre harmony creating this, this beautiful apex of their creation, which beautifully demonstrated their glory before the fall. And there they were in all of their majesty, in all of their glory. Not because they were glorious, but because they truly did reflect the glory of God. And the point in time at which they really reflected the most is when they were both together and naked. Somebody say amen, men. I mean, let's glorify God, right? You know, at the end of the day, before the fall, that's what we look like perfect harmony with God walking with God in the still of the garden don't can't I can't wait we just commune with him and and eat with him and hang out love on he love on us not a care in the world because cares don't exist have you ever thought about that in the new heavens and the new earth 
cares and worries and concerns, they don't even exist. They can't. Because there is no tears. There is no struggle. There is no pain. What would you worry about? Can you even imagine not having one single worry or care in the world? Not even, it's not even there. It's not like you're saying, don't worry about that. No, I'm going to be happy today. No, I mean actually unadulterated wonder and beauty and awe and peace and there's not even anything way in the back of your mind that would suggest you even have something to possibly worry about god's just there and you're just like <laughs> all the time like stupid goofy you know like those people that just you hate them because they're just always happy and you're like don't you know don't it life is not that good shut up right but but here it is you're just like marcus all the time right <laughs> right just wonderful amen he's the goofiest yeah so let's get into the text here but as listen what it says for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But here's the contrasting fact point. Here's the contracting point. He says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant because the covenant he mediates is better. Why? And you see the distinguishing here, right? And now, you have a lot of people tell you that the old covenant is the same as the new covenant. It's just a different administration. No way. I, I don't hold that. Now, you can hold that where I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to fight you over it. You can hold that if you like to. It's fine. Well, it's not fine in my opinion, but it's fine for you to hold that. We'll agree to disagree. It's not a deal breaker. But this language here, I cannot escape. He says, the, medi the, the covenant that he mediates is much. You see that, that exclamation? It's much more excellent. This is a threefold distinction in one phrase. It's not, it's not more excellent. It's, it's not just excellent. It's much more excellent in comparison to the old hands down in other words he he can't use the greek language he can't use language there is no linguistic tool for this author to utilize to demonstrate just any more better any more excellent than it could possibly be in other in other words the way this is written it is it's not even comparable that Jesus Christ and the covenant that he mediates is that much better, far superior. Now, is that because the last one was imperfect, imperfect? That it what that God you know, messed up? Plan A didn't go as according to plan? No, no, no. Did, 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 did plan A fail? And so he's like, all right, Holy Ghost, that one bombed. Plan B, what was it again? Oh, yes, on the board. No. Plan B was always plan A. This specific part, this specific part. See, people don't understand this. This specific part of plan A, it was, there's only one plan. This specific part of plan A had its purpose. 
and its purpose was to type, foreshadow, and point to the Lord Jesus Christ and to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that no human being would be able to enter into God's presence without the God-man, Jesus Christ. To demonstrate just who he would be, what he would do, and what he would accomplish, and what that would mean for us. All the, the Old Testament is beautifully um, just covered in ways that we can see Christ. We see ourselves. We see the way that we will interact with Christ. We see the way we will rebel. We see the way that he will redeem. All of that's in the Old Testament. And when we read it, there is a historical meaning to that text. Let me cover my bases with Dr. 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 Uh, Sherlin. There is one actual literal historical meaning to that text. When we read of David and Goliath, we know that that story is about what explicitly? David and Goliath. It's, it's, it's a historical narrative that is written and recorded about an actual event. Now, he and I distinguish and go back and forth far a little bit on how we describe the next thing that I'm going to say. I would say that it is an ultimate meaning or an ultimate revelation. I think you would agree that it's further revelation, right? Maybe a, a grander understanding of it, a clearer understanding. But as far as the meaning goes, I think we both understand that there's one historical meaning. That's what it was talking about. But this, this, this push, this, this demonstration is at least connected and I would say more ultimately pointing to a grander reality. And so when we see David conquer Goliath, and this was just a little shepherd boy, I know another shepherd. He was one that was ruddy and handsome, but nobody would have ever thought that he would have been a king or that he had power. I know another guy who was a, a little simple Galilean peasant who nobody thought much of, just an old carpenter's son from Nazareth. Not a big deal, right? Nobody had ever considered, no, nobody had ever considered David. When the prophet went to go and pick the king and the sons were brought out, and he's like, nah, it ain't one of these. You got any more sons? Nah, not really. I got this one kid out in the field, but I'm telling you, man, nah. He's like, go get him. That was him. He was out there, what, tending the sheep? He was one who was after God's own heart. I know another guy like that. He was one who was king. He showed himself to be king. Why? Because he was absolutely unmatched in the way that he destroyed the enemy. As a matter of fact, they sang songs about him. And it really made some other people mad. <laughs> Those in authority, oh, even though David was super humble, did you know that David could have killed Saul tenfold many, many, many times? As a matter of fact, and this is another reason I love the Bible because it gives me such good material. <laughs> did you know that there's a story in the Bible about David and he and his men? Now, these are some rough necks, right? It'd be like if I got, you know, Matt and Chris and Charlie and said, hey, let's go hang out in a cave. These are some rough-neck, you know, individuals who people just didn't generally like to be around them. Marcus, you're there too, bro. You know you're leading that group of... Well, he's in this cave with a bunch of misfits, but they do make the best warriors. Why? Because they don't care, right? I mean, we're down here. Let's just get it, boys. What's going to happen? I'm going to get killed. Bring it on. I ain't got nothing here anyway. Anyway, 
They're in this cave, bunch of roughnecks, bottom of the barrel bunch, nothing to lose, and they're good fighting guys too, right? They've had their rounds in the bars after too many, you know? And now they're rolling with David, though, so all of their sinful pride and arrogance has been somewhat transformed to the glory of God. And here David is. He's a bad mama jamma. David was one of the bad. I think David, I maybe, I think David was the baddest man in the Old Testament. Now, you might could go back and forth with me on Joab, maybe. Joab was bad. Beniah, he was a, <laughs> you don't want to mess with Joab. You know he killed an Egyptian with his own spear and jumped in a pit and killed a lion. It's pretty cool. But David killed a bear and a lion. So, I mean, you tell me, right? So, anyway, David's in this cave. I don't even know how I got here, but we're going to roll with it, okay? Amen. David's in this cave, okay? And Oh, I remember. It's all types and shadows. I want you to think about this. David's in this cave. What is wrong with y'all? You're like heaving. You're laughing so much. I'm not. David is in this cave, and it's dark. It's damp, right? And they're trying to catch a nap. And I, tell, I forgot to tell you why they're in the cave. They're running from Saul and the whole army. Saul has gone nuts. He's left his kingdom. David is, he's just a side thought. The only reason David has taken the whole army to go chasing this one guy is because he's proud. He's arrogant. You know what set him off, Matt? What set him off was, was David was actually fighting for Saul and doing a really good battle, right? As a matter of fact, David was tasked with the job of going out and killing a bunch of Philistines and bringing back their foreskins. You know what that is? I will, I will keep it, you know, PG. But there was, David was tasked to go out and get, I'm not, I don't want to get this wrong, 100 foreskins? He was, he was told, somebody help me out. So, anyway, he was told to go out and get 100 foreskins so that he would be able to marry the certain girls in, in order to be able to, to do a certain thing. Well, David's like, all right, bet. And they thought that he would just say no, you know, 100 foreskins. And, you know, you got to cut the pee-pee to do that. And you, in order to cut a Philistine's pee-pee, you got to be a bad man. That's just one, because Philistines was a nasty bunch. You didn't mess with no Philistine, Right? You on the wrong side of the tracks because that's all they did was fight. So in order to get one Philistine PP, you got to be a bad man. And so David says, I bet, shake on it. You know what he does? He goes and gets a thousand. Why would you go that far above and beyond, especially with the job that he had to do, you know? I mean, he had to have hired somebody. Maybe he killed him and be like, hey. You can do it, bro. But he, uh, far above and beyond. So when they came back into the city, after Saul and David was out doing this battle, this war, right? When they came back into the city, they sang this song. And Saul, you got to know, was a very, very prideful man. And he was actually a stud. He was humongous, built, ripped. They would have thought he was on steroids if they existed back then. He came into the city with his chest poked out. I think he was like six foot something. He was a Big old man, huge, very handsome, and he took a lot of pride in that. And they would sing songs when they came back in. Every time Saul would come back in from battle, they'd say, they'd sing a song. Saul has killed his hundreds. They would sing that song. Well, then he gets in relationship with this David character, and David is crazy, right? He's crazy good at killing Philistines and getting their things. Well, he comes back in with David behind him, and they do sing and chant. Saul has killed his hundreds. But then when they see David following up behind, 
They say, but David has killed his ten thousand, his thousands. Oh, and Saul flipped out. He flipped out. How dare you steal glory? And so this is why Saul is chasing after him. And now I want you to, so I could do this at every point. That, so you have this shepherd boy contending with this massive general king who has all the clout, all the political power, and all the, the prestige, who is supposed to be the grandest warrior of them all, this high and lofty place of authority. Look at me! And then you have this little shepherd boy. Do you know how David got in? I know I keep chasing, but it's, it all relates. Do you know how David got in to this relationship with Saul? Anybody know? So while David was the most excellent warrior, the way that he got in relationship with Saul was that Saul had a demon that wouldn't quit. He had spirits that just haunted him at night. And actually, he was like, man, i got to have some relief. Does anybody know what I can do? And somebody said, paraphrasing, somebody said, hey, I know this guy who can really play a nasty harp, and he's been known to really soothe some people. He's like, bring him in here. And so David, the little shepherd boy, this is crazy. The little innocent shepherd boy who had already killed a lion and a bear. I mean, who does that? Like, if you find a guy like that, you know, scoop him up. <laughs> this little shepherd boy comes into Saul's presence. He starts, whatever he does. And the spirit's gone. And Saul gets to sleep. So why would Saul had ever thought that his, his commanding military prowess would ever be jeopardized by a little ruddy kid who was good on the harp? That's crazy. Nobody would think that, right? But here David comes. Coming in behind Saul stole all of his glory. Why? Because he had the might of God in his little shepherd hand. And here Jesus comes stealing all the glory from the Pharisees, and they were furious. And they wanted him killed, much like Saul wanted David killed. Fast forward a little bit, and we see all of this coming into shape and all of this falling into place when David, when David assumes the throne as a, as a shepherd boy, and he takes the thrown from Saul, not by force. We go back to the cave. He's in there with these military misfits, and Saul actually comes into the same cave. You know what he does? You know what he comes into the cave to do? To take a pee-pee. I'm not even making this up. He came into the cave to take a pee-pee. And as he's taking a pee-pee, David is close enough to kill him. I hope David didn't get peed on. <laughs> but he may have, which would demonstrate just how loyal David was to God. Because you know what? His men were saying, kill him, David, kill him. What are you doing? There's a chance. Kill him. And he said, I will not lay a finger on the Lord's anointed. You see, this shepherd, this shepherd boy, would rather die than to show mistrust in God. I know another shepherd like that. 
So you know what he did? He took his knife, and this is, this is why I say I hope he didn't get pee-peed on, because he was close enough that he took his knife and took the, the garment that Saul was wearing, and he just cut the corner off so he could prove. And he actually tells him later, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because who dare lay a hand against or on the Lord's anointed? All of these are this initial image. All of this points to the eternal eminence of Christ. Everything points. Everything is showing him. Everything is taking us to him. And we see demonstrated so, so clearly in the text that, he has, that Christ has obtained a ministry that is much, much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. What's the better promise? What's the S? The sovereign seal. This is, this is why we understand that his promises are better. Oh. He has the sovereign. Why? It's because like Unlike David, who could only wound and harm and kill an earthly uh, enemy of the people, Jesus Christ didn't even fight the earthly because it's earthly. This isn't, this, this is earthly. What he came to do was to be consumed by the earthly to deal the death blow to the heavenly, the sub-heavenly, the heavenly being that had come to deceive, who had the power of death. Remember back in earlier in Hebrews where it says, he took the power of death. He took death and he defeated that, the one who held the power of death. And you remember what we talked about? That he used his own weapon against him. Going back again, remember the shepherd boy out on the field when he was taking on Goliath and the only weapon he had was faith and he takes this giant out with faith and then what does he do? He takes Goliath's own sword and cuts Goliath's head off. This is Jesus. Jesus takes Satan's own weapon and cuts his own head off with it. We can look at David, and we can get some practical tips for our own lives. You know, I've heard the sermons, be like David. If you have faith, you have faith to conquer your giants. And there's some legitimacy to that. I don't take all that away. But listen, you go ahead and relate to David. That's fine. But you make sure you understand first and foremost that you are not David. Jesus Christ is the greater David. And you can be a lesser David. Because you are a Christian, which means little Christ. And through Christ and faith in him, your enemies won't be conquered. We talked about that. They are what? Conquered. Somebody say that with me. Conquered. Come on. Some of you are way too proud to do it, I know. Hey, but repent, humble yourself, and come on. We, we are more than conquerors because we have conquered. All right, one, two, three, conquered. That's past tense. Jesus has already overcome the world. We will overcome the world. Our enemy has been defeated. 
And the better promise is, is that, the, see, these priests, this goes to tell you, and I could just spend about eight more hours here. It says, now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more later. But the earthly priests, they had to offer a sacrifice first for what? For who? Themselves. And then, once they were ritually cleansed, were they cleansed? No. They were ritually cleansed, which means that they met the requirements of the law to be a priest and to offer sacrifices, but they did not meet the heavenly requirement to actually deal with sins and cleanse the conscience. So they could cleanse the body, they could cleanse the outer, they could not cleanse the inner. We know the blood of bulls and guts does not take away any sins. It does not deal with sins. It only points to the one who can. And so these priests had to offer sacrifices for themselves first. And then they could offer a subpar sacrifice to God for the remission of sins, but only the outer, not the internal. But Jesus, as it is, had no sins of his own. Therefore, he could be a perfect priest. We already touched on this, the God-man who had no sin. Plus, he offered the sacrifice that was perfect and was the same type and kind. That's why he had to call himself brother. Because the God-man was the perfect priest to offer the perfect sacrifice, which was a sinless man to deal with the sins of man. Does all that make sense to you? You see now why you cannot have another Savior other than Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can do this. Go ahead on. Explain to me how Buddha was a God-man who was the perfect sacrifice to deal with your sin. You have to deal with your sin. Nobody else can deal with it except for the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the only one that meets the criteria. He is the only one that can. And since he has dealt with your sin, since he is the eternal eminence, was always before, since he did break into history, since he did... All for the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He went into the grave. He defeated death, hell, sin, and Satan. Took yours and my sin and all of the believers into the grave and left them there to experience that wrath and to be paid for there. Resurrected perfect with no sin on. He went down with no sin of his own but all of our sin. He came back up without our sin. Why? Because where are our sins? Cast as far as the east is from the west. That's why you're not dealing with a sin problem. You're dealing with a love problem. You understand that? You are not a sinner, sir. You are a sinner, but you're not a sinner. You, your sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. You don't have a sin problem. You have a love problem. You have a commitment problem. You have a problem being distracted from the Lord Jesus Christ because if we were walking hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ and filled up full of the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit not according to the flesh, then we wouldn't have sin in our lives. That's what we should be striving toward. That's how Jesus remains sinless. Remember, he emptied himself of his, of his um, divine power. He, he emptied himself of that. It doesn't mean he, didn't, he wasn't still God, but he set those aside. So then how did he remain perfect? He walked hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, just like he's calling you and I to. Now, are you going to be perfect on this side? No, you've already that ship sailed. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. But we can be perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And we can die daily to our flesh. 
And we can box as not boxing the air, but we practice. The Bible says practice. Practice how? Get in the Word. Get alone. And so he sought, since he's done all of that and he's seated on the throne, sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal. Why? Because he comes to make his dwelling place in you. Now, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ tabernacled among us, that Jesus Christ is the true tabernacle. The magnificent reality is, is that through Jesus Christ and faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And is the Holy Spirit God? Yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> All right. That one's on the notes. The Holy Spirit is God. God comes in the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. What does that make us? tabernacle we're the temple of the living god he's the true temple but we are temples now the holy spirit comes to dwell inside of us and we understand that through the holy spirit living inside of us that he has made us new that he has come to do a work that can't be undone and therefore jesus christ who is god came of the will of the father to not do his own will but the will of the one who sent him he did that will accomplishing the work of salvation for all that would believe all that the father has given to him will come to him and he will not lose not even one of them he went into the grave to deal with sin death sin and satan and he dealt with that he went up from the grave resurrected to justify himself and and prove that he was the son of the living god that dealt with sin he is the high priest the sacrifice the conqueror he came out of the grave he ascended into heaven where he ripped the veil and blew the whole thing wide open so that anybody who would believe in the son of god would be able to just walk straight up in the throne room of grace with confidence through jesus christ who did the work and then he sent the holy spirit to bring all of that righteousness that active righteousness that sinlessness that forgiveness to implant it into us and that god would make his dwelling place among us you see nobody else can do that you're sovereignly sealed. I'll just quote a man named Jesus. Who will take you out of my hand? Who will take you out of the... No one will take you out of my hand. Who will take you out of the Father's hand? I and the Father are one. Come on. I love that image right there. I'm like, my God will punch you in the mouth. Get away from me, right? You ain't got nothing on... Don't say me. Him! Hey, let's do that. I like that. I want you to say, you ain't got nothing on him. Ain't that feels good, right? There's one who fights for me. Ooh. The sovereign seal. You can't lose it. You can't give it away. You can't shake it off. You can't knock it off. You can't rub it off. Paint thinner won't take it off. Gasoline will stink you up, but it'll still be there. You are sovereignly sealed if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need no man bring you to the Father because he lives inside of you. We're going to get into that deeper next week. And I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to show you why uh, there's huge problems with anybody that says that they are a priest or that you need to come through them in order to meet God or in order to have your sins absolved or to be able to deal with with um, getting to know God or knowing truth. Absolutely not. <laughs> right? We have the Bible written on our hearts individually. And I'll say this up here to allow you to have a way to knock me off my high horse. Listen, you do understand that my word is not bond, right? I don't have the final say. Now, if I'm reading and quoting from Scripture, that's, that's the Word of God. When I'm reading, the Bible is the only place that you don't question me. When I'm reading it, 
but you have all the fun in the world you want with questioning the way I understand it. Why? Because here you got one too. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells on up inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that gave Christ Jesus life, the, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, brother. You got him too, see? I might have a gift of teaching or communication, maybe. But at the end of the day, the same Spirit that tells me what this means, that helps me to understand it, is living in you too. So I do not lay out the doctrine that you better believe unless I got this backing it up. This is the only authority I have. If I step outside of this, I have nothing. And you need to question me. And you need to correct me. You see, that's what puts Protestant churches and other denominations and separates it from the Roman Catholic Church. Is this. There is no human being alive. Roman Catholic, Protestant. There is no human being alive that has the authority to speak for God and tell you what you must believe and must not believe unless they back it up with the scripture. This is the only authority. And anything I say that is binding comes straight from here and is understood rightly from the text. This is the only thing that binds. And so we've already touched on this. What was this one? And I put this last, even though it was uh, up a little bit. And Matt, you can come on up. I've already, I've already taught on this. Now I'll just uh, make a plea on this as we close out. That last verse is this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than uh, the old, as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You see, this is meaningful in two ways. Number one, to this Hebrew audience, to this Jewish audience. They are directly dealing with the Old Covenant. So they were submitted to the Old Covenant. They had heard about Christ. And they had converted from Orthodox Judaism to New Covenant Christianity. Okay? And they were considering going back to their old way of life. And G, or the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't do that. You're going backwards. As a matter of fact, your previous religion, Orthodox Judaism it was great for what it was but if you go back then you are going away from God not to God there is no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus you see this is why the Roman Catholic Church in our immediate context is the best way that we can relate what the Hebrew audience is struggling with are those that would seek to submit themselves to an organization that does not hold to the truths of Christianity. This is going to a man-made system where you need another man to do the work that needs to be done to connect you with God when God has said plainly, call no man father, that I am the last high priest who has made a sacrifice once for all. I am the one that has brought you individually into my care. Yes, we are to teach one another, encourage one another, but we now are all on the same level. You see, I know I stand up here, 
But if the only reason I stand up there is so that I can be seen and heard more clearly as I proclaim the Word of God. Think about it this way. It's not me. It's the Word. Because anything I say that's out of line with the Word of God needs to be dismissed, and I need to have a, the shepherd's hook off the stage. Why? It's because Brandon Poore is nothing. I can come sit right there with you. I'm probably the biggest sinner in this room. I guarantee it. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And if a man ain't got the Word of God, he ain't got nothing. And God is writing his word on your heart. And there is no man that can stand above you and say, you believe what I say. If he doesn't have the word of God to explicitly back, back it up. At the end of the day, how are you doing life with the Lord Jesus Christ? You know how good his covenant is? How wonderful these promises are? Do you know that, that, that God Almighty has said, I will be in you we will be one i will give you power to overcome i will give you strength when you're weak i will pick you up in your lonely places when you fall down i will be there to catch you i will carry you when you are weak i will wipe your tears when you are crying i will spank you when you get out of line because i love you and i don't want you running out of the traffic i will be there when nobody else is and the whole world will turn their back on you and i will still be standing there and you know what i will still be there when you turn your back on me because praise the lord he is faithful even when we were faithless and i don't know about you i've been faithless in my life the beauty and wonder of it all is the beauty and wonder of it all is this let's all stand to our feet i want you to hear me as clearly as you can and i pray holy spirit please god take these words and penetrate the hearts listen have you been in a place to where you feel like there is nothing that you have to offer to appease God? There's nothing that you could do to turn away the wrath of an angry God because you know, you know exactly how sinful you are. You know what you've done. You know the thoughts you've had. You know the mistakes you've made. And so you are just at a loss you have no hope you feel so hopeless so alone so desperate so useless so pitiful that there is nothing you can do except wait to die and you're sitting there saying you're pulling your pockets out and you're saying brandon i got nothing to offer man what you sound like is so amazing but i look around at all these wonderful people in this church and i see that man they, they look good they sound good they got it together and and god would want them he would want them because man look they got something to offer you know they're doing this they're doing that you know look they got a beautiful wife they got a beautiful husband look at this car they got god must love them god i don't god has just turned his back on me you know let me tell you something let me tell you something. When you're in that place right there, and I want you to hear every word that comes out of my mouth right now. You need to hear this. Is that when you are down in your lowest place, when you are beaten, broken, busted, and disgusted, you are in the best place you could possibly be to understand and to hear the voice of God because God has said only those who understand that they have nothing to offer me, only those who realize that there is no hope in this world, only those who realize that there is nothing they can do to come into a relationship with God and to be right with the world, there is nothing that they have to author, offer only then are you in the right spot to say God I need you God I'm desperate for you there is no way there is nothing I can do I need you God that's where life is found you're looking around at those other people to think they got it all together and the truth of the matter is you've been deceived by the enemy because that person is just as jacked up if not worse than you I promise 
Hey, raise your hand if you're real jacked up. And everybody else is liars. Listen, listen, this God did not die for some people out there. This God who took on flesh, who lived a perfect life, he didn't need to die for you. God is not worshipped as if he needed anything. God is not, he is not looking to get anything from you. There's nothing you can offer anyway. But this God who knew nobody could pay him back, knew that they couldn't pay their way, he knew he created you. He still came. He still lived. He still died. He still stayed on the cross. And we know he didn't have to because he looked at the man and he said, no one takes my life from me. You think you take my life from me. The only power you have over me is that which the Father allows you to have. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I pick it up again. I choose to be here. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. You see, he loved you. He was looking at you. Love held him to the tree. And it was the love that he has for you, a wayward sinner. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't even understand it. But I'm thankful for it. What did he see in you? What did he see in me? He saw his own glory reflecting back at him. He said, I want that one. That one. You said God wouldn't choose me. Who you know? What are you? Who are you? That's God's choice. And if you're sitting under the sound of my voice, then life has called to you. There will be nobody to blame but you. When you stand before God and you don't know Him. Because I am saying to you right now with all the power in my being that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And not saved for one day out there. But you will be saved from yourself right now. You will get life now. Your life won't be perfect. But the peace that surpasses all understanding will be yours. That even in the storm, even when the waves are 50 foot tall, and you say there's no way out of this on this earth. The peace of God will surround you and say bring it. I ain't worried. All you can do is bring me on home to my master. And I'm cool with that. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that anybody, if you would just believe, if you would just believe he calls to you now, if you would just believe, you would, you would never perish. Never. But you would have eternal life sovereignly sealed. Starting upon belief and lasting forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, please come. Anybody here doesn't know him? Anybody want to get saved today? Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts as you've done in the past. I know you've walked out of many a building. I know you've walked out of many a meeting. And you said, maybe next time, maybe next time, maybe next time. And you just held out. And, you, and today is the day. Anybody here never been saved want to be born again and set free by the power and the blood of the Lamb? Anybody here? I'm pleading with you. Anybody here doesn't know life and wants to be saved today, just raise your hand up. Right here in front of God and everybody. We don't do the whole lights off and eyes closed. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you speak my name, I'll speak your name before the Father. Woo! Woo! Anybody? 
I hope that means all y'all saved. Anybody. Lord God, I hope that everybody's saved. Okay, then, all you saved people. I'm going to give you an opportunity now. I know it's late day. It's all right. I got excited. Write me a letter. Send it to Keith at the well-landrum.com. Doctor, doctor, doctor Keith at the well-landrum.com. Hey, I just hope that means you're all believers and praise God. We got a big family in here. Let's worship him with this last song. Let's lift up our voices and praise and let the heavens know that we're excited that they get to come and hang out with us and we get to hang out with them and we're going to work. We're going to work to build this kingdom because we can't even just hold this in, right? We've got to let everybody know. And then one day when we're made whole, we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll just enjoy it. And I've got to go ahead and get down here because I'm just going to keep talking if I don't. Love y'all. Come do business with God up here. So if you are believers, then... Whatever thing you got in your life that might be hindering you from that relationship with God. And we know that sin, it, oh, it, it, man, it hinders the Holy Spirit's voice. It, it, it grieves the Spirit, right? So let's come and repent. You can do it there. You can do it here. Let's, let's repent so that God would have his way with us. And man, you watch Landry be flipped upside down. Okay, I got to get out. Come on, do business with God, people. I love y'all. Let's do it.